Judgment Rendered. Did my life count? This message is the third in a series on biblical prophecy, A World in Chaos, preached by Pastor Scott Poling at Harvest New Beginnings, Oswego, Illinois, on October 4th, 2015. Some high-profile scrutiny happened in Washington, D.C. this past week. Planned Parenthood President Cecilia Richards was on the hot seat. Five hours of questioning before a watching nation. Grilled at a hearing by the United States House of Representatives Oversight and Government Reform Committee. And she did a lot of squirming. You know, that's what happens when the truth comes out. People squirm. The eyes of the world are on you when you stand to lose everything that you've gained. When, when you're held accountable for previous words you've spoken or actions that you've taken. When you thought what was hidden, all of a sudden is revealed before everybody. Christian, believer, follower of Jesus Christ, listen very, very carefully. The truth is going to come out. I want you to hear this. Your words and your actions in this life are going to come to light. Not only that, your motives, the reason you did what you did, will be revealed and made known. And what we thought was hidden will be presented. Sadly, some of us here tonight are going to be doing a lot of squirming. And it's not going to be before some government oversight committee or earthly judge or jury, but before the judgment seat of Almighty God. And you may say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Pastor Scott. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be judged at all. I've avoided the judgment. Christ is my Savior. It is true, Romans 8, 1. No condemnation is there for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not talking about judgment based on eternity and for salvation. We're talking about judgment based on how you lived your life here on earth. Your faithfulness to God, your lack of faithfulness to God. Your stewardship with the time that he gave you, the money that he gave you, the spiritual gifts that he's given every single one of us. You may say, well, wait a minute, what about this judgment? Where is that in the Bible? I am so glad you asked. It's one of the most important prophecies that is often overlooked for Christians. The judgment seat of Christ. And, and last week we studied 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This amazing prophecy of this dual resurrection and return of the Lord. Jesus returning for the souls of dead believers and resurrecting their bodies in the earth. And calling up his loved ones from the earth and rapturing them into the air. And, and you may say, well what do we do in heaven when we're up in heaven? When we're up in heaven, we know all hell breaks loose on this earth, seven years of tribulation. But what do we do while we're up there? And it's not what many Christians think. We're not strumming on harps all day, learning new praise songs. We're not high-fiving each other, walking streets of gold. God has a very important meeting set up with each and every one of his children. And every single one of us, myself and you included, will come before the judgment seat of God and give an account for our lives. For some, it will be a time of remorse. 
There will be sadness for what could have been, sorrow for not living our life more fully for God while we were here on this earth. For others, it'll be a time of recognition and and rejoicing. God's commendation, well done, good and faithful servant, and and a reception of approval with rewards for service and for stewardship. There are four main passages in Scripture on the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to look at each of those passages tonight. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 14 to begin with. Romans chapter 14, as we continue our series, A World in Chaos, Is This the Beginning of the End? Tonight's message, Judgment Rendered. Did my life count? Did my life count? The judgment seat and what we learn first from Romans chapter 14. Turn to Romans chapter 14 and read along as I read, starting in verse 10. But you, written to Christians, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to who? to God. This passage is couched in the context of judgmental Christians. I want you to hear this right off the bat. It is not your job to judge another. It's not your job to judge your brother. Kind of sounds like biblical Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? It's not your job. You are not called to judge other believers, other Christians. What this passage reveals right off the bat is we got a problem in the church. We have a problem among Christians. We have this problem with what we believe is spirituality and looking down our nose at somebody else who isn't as spiritual as we think they should be. Now, Romans 14 is in the context of Romans chapter 13, where you have weak people in the faith judging strong people in the faith, and the strong in faith are judging the weak in faith. And you may say, well, what is that all about? Well, let me tell you what it's about. Joe in the church has no problem going to the grocery store buying meat, even if the meat was sacrificed to an idol. Hey, the hamburger's on sale, man, and it's good stuff. I don't care if it was sacrificed to an idol. There's no such thing as an idol. I'm going to grill it up and I'm going to eat it. Doesn't bother his conscience. The other Christian on this hand says, I would never go to a grocery store and buy that meat. It was sacrificed to an idol. How dare you even buy that? And so you have the one guy judging the person who's weak in faith, and you have the weak in faith judging the other guy who's strong in faith. They also struggled with days. Some believers regarded all days the same. Some believers regarded some days as very sacred, and you do not do that on that day. It was an issue over Christian liberty. Some people had liberty to do things. Other people didn't, and they were judging each other. And you may say, well, do we have anything like that today? I'll take a stab at it. Should a Christian drink a glass of wine with a meal or not? Some Christians would say, absolutely, there's nothing wrong with wine. Only drunkenness is sin in the Bible. Why wouldn't you drink wine? Why don't you grow up, Christian? There's nothing wrong with wine. Another Christian would say, how dare you drink wine? That's acting like the world, and that could lead to drunkenness, and you don't know what could happen. You may say, well, where do you stand, Pastor Scott? You'll have to come back next week. (laughs) Where do you stand, Pastor Scott? Well, I'm in the third category. What's the third category? I abstain. Why? 
because of the stronger and the weak. That's why. I, I abstain. I understand Christian liberty, and I have no problem with Christian liberty. I would have no problem with somebody drinking a glass of wine with me, at a meal with me. I just don't. But I don't drink it because I know it could cause a brother to stumble. I know it could set a wrong precedent. So that's where I stand. I give up my liberty on behalf of other people. And that's just something my wife and I have chosen to do for 20 years. What God is saying here and what the Apostle Paul is saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, Christian, judging another Christian? God didn't appoint you as judge. Stop bad-mouthing, criticizing, belittling, and judging another Christian because of the freedoms they enjoy. Their conscience is clear. They have freedoms before God. Who do you think you are to judge that? Stop bad-mouthing, criticizing, and belittling, and judging other believers because of their devoted lifestyle to God and the disciplines that they choose to practice. Why would you look down your nose at them? Who do you think you are? Just because you have liberty and they don't, you don't have to judge them. Let them live the way they want to live before God. Now, I want to make a clarification here. Don't confuse lovingly confronting a fellow believer in sin with self-righteous judgment. Because if you see a brother or sister living in sin in Christ, and they're living in sin, we're called in Scripture to confront them in love. That's not judgment. That's caring for them. I mean, Matthew chapter 18, 15. If your brother sins, go show him his fault where? In private. And then it goes on from there. Ephesians 4, 15. But speaking the truth in love. So, so we learn right off the bat, it's not our job to judge. That's God's job. There's another thing we learn, verse 10 through 12. He, he mentions these words, all, every, each. In other words, prepare for individual accountability. All will stand. All of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. That's verse 10. Uh, it's also stated in 2 Corinthians 5, 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, how many of you here just love jury duty? Anybody? Bah. Oh, I can't stand on call for jury duty. I've been called like three times. And, uh, and I always want to get out of it. And, uh, and I've been able to by God's grace because I've been out of town or on a missions trip or something else. I, I want you to understand something. You're not getting out of the judgment seat. You're not going to be able to say, hey, God, I'm really busy that day. I won't be able to show up. You're going to be there. This is going to happen. Judgment awaits. Now, the judgment seat in the Greek is called bima. If you have ever heard somebody refer to the bima seat, that's what it means, the judgment seat. It was a raised platform where rulers would hand down decisions. It was also a raised platform during athletic games, like the Olympics, where, where, where judges would stand and they would award the winners with crowns of victory and they would disqualify the cheaters. I want you to understand there's going to be a raised judgment seat. And you are going to stand before God Almighty. And so am I. Each and every child of God. And God will render judgment. You will give an account for your life and how you lived it here on this earth. Get ready. It's coming. Be prepared. He says every knee is going to bow, every tongue confess. It's a prophecy of Isaiah 45. Most often as Christians, we consider this in light of unsaved, belligerent, rebellious people. They're going to bow. 
And God says, I'm using this in context of you. You're going to bow. And you're going to confess. And everything's going to be shown forward. Everything is going to come out. Each will give an account. I'm not going to give an account for you. You're not going to give an account for me. It's individual judgment. And by the way, we give account to God. Who is God? God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit? John 5, and 27 tells us, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Verse 27, he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. This will be a personal judgment before the Son of God. And it's personal judgment. I want you to understand something. I don't believe the conversation is going to be about your ex-spouse and how badly they treated you. (laughs) That's not what God's going to talk to you about. He's going to talk to you about your actions and how you treated others. The conversation is not going to be about your boss and how they cheated you out of all that money. I believe the conversation is going to be about you and your money. What did you do with the money I allowed you to have? How did you spend it? How did you use it? I don't believe the conversation is going to be about your neighbor or your relative and how they've been gossiping and slandering you. No, I believe the conversation is going to be about us and our mouths and what we've said behind people's backs. You may say, well, where's that in Scripture? What are we going to be judged on? Matthew 12, 36. I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the what? The day of judgment. It should scare us spitless. God has been recording every single text message you've sent, every single private message you've sent, every single conversation you have ever had and I have ever had. Everyone. And it will be presented. James chapter 3, verse 1, what else will we be judged on? Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a what? Stricter judgment. Don't be a preacher unless God absolutely calls you. Because there is a stricter judgment coming for we who hold the precious word of God and present it. Did I take away from the word of God? Did I add to the word of God? Did I let God's word speak as God's word? There is a stricter judgment coming for those who preach and teach the holy word of God. Listen up, televangelists of this world. All actions, Ecclesiastes 12, 14. God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. James 5, 8 through 9. You two be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. The coming of the Lord is near. Don't complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be what? Judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Again, be careful how you talk about people. This is a very fascinating passage in Hebrews 13, 7 regarding church leaders. To the congregation, he writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give a what? An account. Spiritual leaders, pastors, will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. It's very fascinating. Shepherds will give an account And troublemakers in the congregation stand out like sore thumbs. Don't be a grief to those in spiritual leadership. Be a joy to those. Because we'll be talking to God about you. That's pretty serious. 
Romans chapter 14, the judgment seat and what we learn. The judgment seat and what we learn. Romans or 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is our second passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Paul was a church planter. He laid the foundation. Another's building on it. But, let, but each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with what? It is to be revealed with what? Fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Praise God. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, the context is bickering in the church. The context is disunity and factions in the church. Verse 4, I'm of Paul, well, I'm of Apollos. Uh, I'm of Pastor Scott, well, I'm of Pastor Raleigh. And, you know, Pastor Scott's done this. Well, you know, Pastor Raleigh's done this. And there's these factions, and people are drawing up sides, like there's teams within the church. And he's saying, you forgot about God. He's the one that does all the work. He's the one that deserves all the credit. Verse 6, God was causing the growth. Verse 7, God was causing the growth. Yes, people are planting and people are watering and people all over the church are exercising their spiritual gifts. My spiritual gift is exhortation. That's what I do. It's how God's wired me. I preach the word. Right now, there's a sweet lady who's gifted in service and she's down in the nursery changing somebody's diaper. And that doesn't mean I'm better than her. We all have different gifts, using them for the glory of God. He's saying, why are you drawing up factions and causing disunity? You're on the same page. Each and every person will be rewarded accordingly. That's what we learn in verse 8. Each and every person will be rewarded accordingly. Some people plant, some people water. God is the one who causes the growth. And this is good news. Each one will receive his own reward. In other words, you're not going to be forgotten. Somebody's not going to get your reward by mistake. In other words, God sees what you're doing. Sometimes sometimes when people serve the Lord, they get discouraged. Because no one sees the time that they gave. No one sees the sacrifice that they made. No one sees the, 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 the energy and the money they've put into it. And they get discouraged. Sometimes they just walk away from serving God altogether. You know what God tells us in Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 6.10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you've shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. He says, be encouraged. God knows exactly what you've been doing even if nobody else does. And your reward is coming. It's coming. God sees our labor on his behalf. And labor is work. Labor means sacrifice. That's what it means. Each will be rewarded, and it's important that we learn to make Jesus the foundation of all that we do. If you look at verse 10, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, another's building on it. Back in the 1960s, somebody laid the foundation of this church in downtown Oswego. 
And we've been building on that foundation ever since. Build on it, and the foundation has to be Jesus Christ. The foundation. That's what he says, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 11. In other words, if Jesus isn't the foundation of what you're doing, there are no rewards and you're wasting your time. Make Jesus the foundation of your life. Make Jesus the foundation of your service. Make Jesus the foundation of your ministry. Make sure we make Jesus the foundation of this church. Can't build a church on gimmicks and personalities and traditions and certain doctrines or political agendas. Jesus has to be the foundation of what we do or there's nothing there. It needs to be the foundation of who we are and why we do it as well. And by the way, verse 12 tells us to build with the best of materials. When you go to Home Depot or you go to Lowe's or Menards, there's all kinds of materials. Some of the stuff is junk, trash, you know, its quality's bad. Then you can find stuff that's good quality. You want to build with junk? You're going to get junk. It's not going to last. You want to build with the best quality? It's going to last. And good quality is the gold, the silver, the precious stones. That's what you give to God. You give him your best, that which is permanent and beautiful and valuable. And by the way, gold, silver, and precious stones are hard to find. You've got to dig for them. You've got to mine for them. The, the junk is the wood, the hay, and the straw. It's cheap. It's worthless. It's combustible. It's temporary. It's readily available. That's what most people use because it's easy. I'll give God what's easy. I'll give God what's easy on my calendar. I don't want to mess up my schedule. I'll give God what's easy financially. I'm not going to sacrifice. I'll give God what's easy. That's wood. That's hay. And that's straw. And that's what's going up in flames. Give God your best. Stay away from the hay. Go for the gold. I want you to understand, God has some strict building codes and standards. Don't be in violation. (laughs) Give him your best. He is worthy of your best. See, fire is going to be the deciding factor, verse 13. Each man's work is going to become evident. The day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each man's work. Now, he's talking work, but not works for salvation. We know salvation is free. Okay, Romans 6.23, it's a gift of God, eternal life. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, saved through faith, gift of God, not as a result of works. So what kind of works is he talking here? He's talking works after salvation. He's talking Ephesians 2.10 works, you know. Workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works. God's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. That's what he's talking about. In verse 13, each man's work will become evident. There are people who build houses or finish basements or whatever they do, and they're able to hide things from the building inspector. Building inspector misses this, misses the wiring, misses the fire code, you know, just misses some things because the guy's trying to cut corners to save money. I want you to understand, God is not going to miss a thing. He's not going to miss a thing. It's going to be a very thorough judgment. Do you know why? He's going to torch everything in my life. He's coming in with a flamethrower, people. He's going to torch your whole life. He's going to torch everything you've done. He's going to torch everywhere you've gone. He's going to torch everything you've said. He's going to torch the motives behind what you did. Everything he's going to burn thoroughly. Why? 
because he's going to see if there's any jewels left. Because if it was done for selfish reasons, it's going up in smoke. If it was done for his glory and his pleasure, it's left over and it's rewarded. It's kind of like somebody whose house burns down and then they go through the, through the ash heap looking for anything that's valuable. Is God going to find anything of value in your life when he torches it? That's a question you have to answer. And you've got to make sure right now you are living your life for God because some of you are not. And you're just playing with wood, hay, and straw every day, all day. And it's going up in smoke because you will be standing before the judgment seat of Almighty God. The judgment seat will be a time of loss and a time of reward. Look at verse 14 and 15. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he receives a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he suffers loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. There are rewards that will be received. This is a beautiful gift of grace from God. We learn of crowns received in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They, then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable crown. 2 Timothy 4, 8, in the future there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. There's a crown for those who look to the heavens and wait for God's return. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, for who has our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? At his coming. He is coming. He is coming. He is returning. For you are our glory and joy. First Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. James 1, 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There are rewards that will be received but there will also be loss that will be experienced. I want you to understand this. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Loss will be experienced in heaven. We don't often think of that. For some people, there will be loss in heaven. Maybe that's why some shrink in shame at the thought of his coming. 1 John 2, 28. Little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. In other words, change your life now. You get to decide whether there will be sorrow or reward. You get to decide now whether there will be remorse or rejoicing. And it's decided by how you and I live our lives right now. What we do and why we do and who we do it for. No more wasting our lives on wood and hay and straw. Salvation is secure. We don't lose our salvation. He himself will be saved yet so as through fire. God's grace is secure. There is no work we do for salvation, so there's no work we can do to lose salvation. John is very clear, you know, that our salvation is secure, fourfold salvation, eternal life, never perish. I hold you in my hand. My Father holds you in his hand. You can't lose your salvation. But the works that are burned up are such a loss. 
the judgment seat and what we learn from Romans 14, from 1 Corinthians 3, and then from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. Listen to this. But to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court, writes Paul. In fact, I don't even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is who? The one who examines me is who? The Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment. Stop judging each other, Christians, before it's the time. But wait until the Lord comes. There it is again. He's coming. He's coming. He's returning. Who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Again, God's judgment of you is the only one that matters. Don't miss this. God's judgment is the only one that matters. In other words, be unfazed at the criticisms and judgments of other people. That's what Paul says. Look at verse 3. To me, it's a very small thing that I'm examined by you or by any human court. In other words, you know what he's saying? People are going to examine you. They're going to put you under their microscope. They're going to check you out. People are going to question you with an eye of suspicion. That's what they're going to do. They're going to criticize you. They're going to critique you. And some of them are going to do it right to your face. And some of them are going to do it behind your back. Hey, I've been in ministry 20 years, friends. Anybody in public leadership knows this. But it's not just those in public leadership. It's every single one of us. We will be criticized. We will be examined. We will be critiqued. Now, you know what Paul says? Don't focus on other people's evaluations of your work or your ministry. Paul didn't. You know what happens if you do? You fall into the trap of trying to please people instead of please God. You've got to be focused on God's judgment of you, not other people. And some of you are so uptight and so upset because so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that and they critiqued you or they criticized you. You've got you to gotta water off a duck's back. You've got to move forward. And you've got to deal with this and say, God, you're my only judge. I am accountable to you and you alone. And let God give you that freedom that some of you have lost because you've been trying to please people running around like a crazy person. God is your judge and only God. God's judgment is far more important than sinful, finicky, picky, carnal people's judgment. And don't forget it. Verse 4, he says, but I keep a clear conscience. I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet by this I'm not acquitted. To the best of my ability, he says, I'm being honest with the Lord and I'm seeking God's approval. But he says, I'm not by this acquitted. What does he mean by this? Well, a clean conscience doesn't necessarily acquit us or validate our life or automatically approve what I've done. Why? Why doesn't a clear conscience do that? I'll tell you why. Because we in our sinfulness tend to justify ourselves. We in our sinfulness tend to be biased in our own favor. That's why. We always act that way. We always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. You know what he says? I got to remember God's the one that's going to judge me. His judgment truly is the only judgment that matters. Not someone else's, not even myself. God's. What do we learn next? That all that is hidden will be disclosed. Look at verse 4. 
The Lord is coming, and he's going to bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Ooh, jeesh. We are not getting away with anything. Nothing. It's all coming out. Here's some good verses to remind us. Proverbs 5.21. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches how many of his paths? All of them. That's in the context of adultery, by the way. Oh, God sees where you go. God knows just what you just did. God sees all sexual immorality and he makes note of it. It's, it's coming back. It's coming out, friends. Romans 2.16. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. All the secrets. There's no secrets with God. Aren't you glad for God's forgiveness and grace? Aren't you glad for God's forgiveness and grace? Don't hide anything. Come before him and confess your sin and let him cleanse you. Hebrews 4.13 And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There's no secrets with God. Not only that, the motives will be disclosed. Disclose the motives of men's hearts. Man, Jeremiah 17.9 and 10 the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? God answers, woohoo, I can. <laughs> I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Similar to 1 Samuel sixteen seven, when Samuel looked at all the boys going by of Jesse and God said, don't look at their appearance or the height of their statue. I've rejected them for I don't see like you see. I look where? I look at the heart. I look at the heart. See, God sees deep within our heads and deep within our hearts, and he knows why we do what we do. Let me give your, myself and you a really good piece of advice. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, say it with me. Do all to the glory of God. Everything to God's glory. Every act to God's glory. Be so completely and awesomely focused on your God and his glory. That is what will purify your motives and my motives. The judgment seat is also a time of praise, though. Don't don't think it's just all sorrow and fear and intimidation. It says here, each man's praise will come to him from God. To stand before God and have the creator of the universe praise you for your faithfulness and praise you for your stewardship and praise you for the child of God you have been, for the service you have rendered, for the time you have given, for the sacrifices. The God of the universe whom the angels adore and worship will be praising you. That's incredible. That's the God that we serve. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. One more passage on the judgment seat of Christ and what we learn. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 8. We're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and be home with the Lord. Lord, take me home. When I die, my body goes in the grave. My soul goes to be with you. That's where I'm going to be. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Again, the glory of God. Make it your motive. Pleasing to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
So the body goes to sleep in the grave. The soul goes to be with the Lord. We await the return of the Lord, the resurrection of bodies and the rapture of his people. And he says, wherever I am, just, just I want to please God. Wherever you are, wherever you work, wherever you live, whatever you do, seek to please your God. Make it your goal. Make it your ambition. Make it your objective of life because this life is short. And then verse 10, he says, recompense awaits us all. We must all appear. Must, no opting out, all, without exception, appear. In other words, the personal appearance before God Almighty on the judgment seat. You are making a personal appearance to God. And so am I. It's only a matter of time. It's coming. Each one will be recompensed, no exceptions. Recompensed meaning, meaning we will receive back what is due, whether loss or reward, whether sorrow or recognition and praise. And it's all about the deeds in the body. Recompense for his deeds in the body. God sees what we're doing. Promises repeated over and over again, both in Old Testament and New Testament. Ecclesiastes 11.9. Listen to these words. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. That sounds pretty dangerous. That's why the next sentence is on there. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Be prepared as you live your life. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 again. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the result of his deeds. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with these angels and will repay every man according to his what? His deeds. And then Revelation 22, the last chapter in the Bible. Verse 12. Behold, I'm coming quickly. He's coming back. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done, his deeds. Live with the ever-constant reminder that the Lord is coming back and he will recompense every single person as we stand individually before the judgment seat of Almighty God. Let's pray. It's our prayer that this message has been an encouragement to you and challenged you in your walk with God. If you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian or find yourself in need of spiritual encouragement, please give us a call at 630-554-3858 or contact us at www.harvestnewbeginnings.com.